So as most of you know, we're in the parables, studying the parables that Jesus spoke. And Jesus used parables to actually teach spiritual truths for two main reasons. And one is stories like these kind of have a hook. We, we remember stories. I mean, you, you hear a story, you read a story, you watch a movie. It's easy to remember because there's kind of a hook. But the other thing is that Jesus spoke in parables because people that will are spiritually ready will understand. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. So last week, we learned from the parable of the workers in the vineyard that no matter when in a person's life they come to Jesus, they'll receive eternal life. Remember that? No matter when a person comes to the Lord, even if it's on, in, on their deathbed, they will be saved. Like the criminal on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So today we're going to study another parable about salvation, but the focus is that salvation, the focus is that salvation is offered to all. It's called the parable of the wedding feast. Now, this parable is also found in Luke chapter 14. Now, in the culture of Jesus's day, the Jewish people were known as the chosen people, and the religious Jews were seen as people that would be accepted by God. Conversely, the Gentiles were seen as non-religious and people that were rejected by God. So that's the culture. That's the culture, what was going on in Jesus' day. The Jewish people, the religious Jewish people were seen as people accepted by God, and the Gentiles were seen as non-religious and rejected by God. Now, most of you know that Jesus was not very popular among the Jewish leaders. In fact, they were the ones that actually delivered Jesus up to be crucified. But their rejection of Jesus actually didn't start with Jesus coming to this earth. Their rejection was seen well before that when they rejected the prophets that were messengers of God to help them understand when they were turning away from God. So Israel or the Jewish people's rejection didn't start with Jesus, okay? There was a lot of rejection going on before that. So in this parable, Jesus gives us kind of a little history lesson about what took place as far as Israel's rejection and what's now taking place as far as the offer of salvation being open to everyone, even the non-religious Gentiles. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. It says this, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, Jesus uses a wedding feast that a king throws for his son as an illustration of the kingdom of heaven. The king obviously represents God the Father, and the son represents Jesus. Now, in these first few verses, we have invited guests that refuse the invite, okay? The king's throwing a wedding. We have invited guests. They refuse the invite. Now, many of you that are married may remember when you came up with your invite list. Some of you, you have to dig real deep. It was a long time ago, right? But you remember when you were coming up with that uh, invite list. Maybe because of the expense of the wedding and the size of the venue that you had, you had an A list of people to invite, right? And the truth is, some of the people, some of the A-list guests, when they couldn't make it, who were called in? 
the B-list, right? The B-listers were called in, okay? So you had this group of A-list people that you had to invite, and then you had the B-list people. These are people that you want there, but for whatever reason, others had to be invited first. It's not that the A-list people was filled with people that, were, that you liked better. In fact, in many cases, it was maybe a distant relative that, you know, somebody in your family said, we got to invite Aunt Tilly from, you know, the Midwest because we don't want to offend Aunt Tilly. If anybody has an Aunt Tilly, sorry, I just picked that name. Okay, so here's the thing. Maybe it was a distant cousin or maybe it was somebody close to your parents that you didn't even know. Maybe it's somebody they work with that you didn't even know. Sometimes... Actually, the people that are on the B list are the people that you actually rather celebrate with. You're like, oh, I want this person there, my friend from college or whatever. I want them there, but like, I, we can only have 120 people or whatever that is. So in God's economy, the A list or the people invited first were actually the Jewish people because God chose the Jewish people to reveal his plan of salvation to all people. Now, you may be wondering, why did God choose Israel? Okay, And that's a great question. And I wish I could totally answer that, but the scriptures only tell us what Israel was supposed to do. And that was to point people to God and the coming Messiah, Jesus. But sadly, by and large, they failed. Now, the scriptures never explicitly give us a reason from God why he chose them but in Romans 9, Paul basically says this, and you're not going to like this. Paul basically says this. We don't even really have the right to ask why. We don't have the right to ask why. And I know you're not, you're, all, you're like, really? Why not? But we have rights. We're Americans. We have rights. We have the right to know all the answers. Well, here's the thing. Paul actually likens it to the clay, the lump of clay, telling the potter what type of pot it wants to be when we start asking questions like that. Realistically, this is one of thousands of questions that only God knows the answer to. So it's not like it's out of God's character to not give us all the reasons and all the explanations. And you might have things in your life like that. Like, why did my spouse die? Why did my father die? Why did my mother die? Why did my child die? You might have all these questions. You, you might never get the answer until you go and see Jesus. So there's going to be, life is going to be filled with questions that are unanswered. This is not out of the character of God. And in fact, God is saying, you know what? In your seat, you don't even really have the right to ask me that question. So now let's get back to the parable. In verse 4, it says, Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited... See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Okay, so now we have another appeal to this A-list, the A-listers, Israel. And what happens next there's a description of what will be served at the wedding feast, which is a great meal fit for the king. So not only is there the invite, like, come to the wedding feast of my son, but the invite consists of, here's what we're going to eat. 
It's going to be amazing. Here's what you're going to have. Here's, gonna, here's the blessings that are going to be at this meal. This is actually probably a reference to Revelation 19, the wedding supper of the Lamb. But at this point in the parable, Jesus is describing something good, something appealing, and a blessing from the king. This is a symbol of God's greatness and blessings. And look how they responded. Let's look how they responded. They didn't come and they didn't come to the wedding feast, but here's the way they responded. The first is they paid no attention. They paid no attention. So these servants came out, hey, look, I got this great wedding feast, which also shows, and here's, here's what happens. When people don't pay attention to the blessings of God, they're probably basking in the blessings of God, and they don't even really know it. It's like trying to sell somebody that has everything, has the good job, has the good relationships, has the money. Everything is going their way, so they pay no attention to God because they're just like, hey, life is good. Guess I don't need him, right? So they paid no attention. These are people that hear about the gospel, possibly and possibly spiritual things, and have no interest. They have no interest. It's not that they're so focused on other things. They just have no interest in the things of God. They just live their life. When they hear about the Lord, they pay no attention. You might know people like that. They just pay no attention. You could be talking about the Lord. You could share a verse with them. You could share your testimony with them, and they just, eh, eh. That's good for you, whatever. Pay no attention. Next, it says, some went off to the farm or to do business. Now, the account in Luke chapter 14 gives us some extra details. I'm just going to read two verses from that. It says this, but they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, go to and I, gotta, I have to go to examine them. Please have me be excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So these are excuses. These are people that are not following the Lord. These are people that are following the Lord seems to be secondary at very best, probably even fourth or fifth on their list. It's not important to them because these other things are clearly more important to them. Possessions, money, relationships become the focus of their lives. They get in the way of any type of decision for the Lord. This is another group of people that are just doing their own thing, doing their own thing, living their life, but they're living in rejection. The things of this world are getting in the way of them making any real decision for the Lord. But now did you catch the final group? They're a real interesting group, okay? They harmed and killed the servants that carried the invite. Okay, this is insane to me. Hey, you want to come to a party? No, but I'm going to kill you, okay? So basically, that's what, I mean, think about this for a second. The servants went out. Here's an invitation. Here's the blessings. We're going to eat some filet mignon. It's going to be amazing. You know what? You're super offensive to me. I'm just going to kill you right now, okay? It's such a bizarre thing right here. But this is a reference to how the prophets were treated when they brought the message of God and how the religious leaders treated Jesus and his followers. Now think about this. The prophets had a message from God. They wanted good for the people. 
And by and large, most of the prophets were killed by the very people that they were speaking to. That would be like me coming up here saying to you guys, God loves you. He loves you so much. You need to turn to him and preach the gospel to you. And then after service, I had to jump in my van and get out of town because you guys were like, we want to kill him. I can't believe he told us God loves us. It's insane. I mean, the job of the prophet, nobody was signing up for that back in the day in the Old Testament. Nobody's like, I would like to grow up to be a prophet. The prophets were called by God. And many of them were mistreated and killed. Now, you may encounter people that are hostile toward the gospel message. The culture we live in is setting up to be more and more hostile toward biblical truth. Let me just tell you, what will eventually happen is people will grow so cold and so hostile that there may even be a time when authorities say, you can't preach the name of Jesus. Thankfully, we're not at that time yet, but there's always going to be people that respond in hostility to the gospel message, to the invite of salvation. The scriptures tell us that it's, a, it's an offense to people when they hear about Jesus because they're so wrapped up in their own sin. So this last group, they're, they're offended. They're offended by this wedding feast. They're offended by the invite. They're offended by good things. And we just shake our heads, right? We're like, are you kidding me? Like, how could you be offended by something so life-changing and so good? So next we see how the king responds because we're shaking our heads, but the king is pretty upset. The king was angry. Verse 7, the king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Wait, what? If the king represents God, what in the world does this mean? If the king represents God, what in the world does this mean? Because this seems like, you know, I come here to church and I hear God is love. Jesus loves and, and God, everything about God is nice and good, right? Well, here's the thing. God is offended, and God is righteous. And this actually talks about God's righteous wrath. And we see this, especially in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, but when you re read through the Old Testament, there are times when God allows other people groups to conquer his chosen people, Israel, in battle. And you're reading this, and you're just like, what? And part of it was to wake them up because they were so disobedient. And God was like, there is nothing that I can do that's going to make you wake up. So guess what? If you want to go that way, here's what's going to happen. We also see this in Romans chapter 1. Very unpopular chapter in this culture, okay? But basically, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about God's passive wrath. And basically in that chapter, it says if people are pursuing sinful ways, sometimes God actually steps back, doesn't intervene, allows them to go on and sin and harm themselves, and doesn't intervene. Basically, it's like God saying, this is what you want to pursue? Let's see how it works out for you. Some of you might be dealing with an adult child, right? Somebody who's over 18, maybe they still live in your house and, and they're making bad decisions upon bad decisions and, and you've tried to always swoop in and save them and clean up the mess and this and that. And then finally, one day you woke up and you said, my kid's 25 years old. I keep on fighting their battles for him. I'm just going to stop right now. 
And some people might say, that's terrible. You should still keep on fighting your kid's battles. But other people are say, say, you know what? You've been fighting that kid's battle way too long. You have to let them realize the natural consequences of the way that they're living. I would suggest that the latter is the loving thing to do. Because most of you and I know that we learn from the mistakes that we make. We learn from pursuing the wrong things. And we learn that we reap what we have sown. So the king is angry at this point. I'm putting on this feast for my son. I send out some servants to invite you. And you kill him? Am I not supposed to be angry? I mean, listen to what the king said in verse 8. He said, then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Not worthy. Here's a group of people that this generous king has this amazing wedding feast. And they not only don't come, but they kill the messengers. Their rejection made them not worthy. Think about this. Would you want these people at your wedding? <laughs> I don't think so. So now the king says in verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So now it says, go out into the roads and invite. Go out and invite. Mass invites. This is the invitation to all the Gentiles, all of us. The B-list, so to speak, okay? Gentiles being saved is not an afterthought on God's part. Let me be very clear. It's not an afterthought on God's part. He always wanted us, just like you probably always wanted those B-listers at your wedding, and maybe you were even trying to figure out a way to get them in. The difference between our B-list and God's is we didn't have enough room, but God does have enough room for all. So then the question becomes, why the B-list, okay? Why is, why is it structured like this? Why does God operate like this? Or in other words, why was the offer of salvation not open to all before Jesus? Well, here's the truth. The offer of salvation was open and believed by Gentiles before Jesus. Do you realize that? Some examples are the people of Nineveh, Nineveh excuse me, which were enemies of Israel. And according to Jonah chapter 3, when Jonah went there, in Luke eleven thirty-two, 32, it says they repented. They were not Jewish people. Nineveh were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. But they repented. Some of you remember Rahab. She was a Gentile, and she's found in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of faith. So Gentiles having faith didn't happen as much. It was a little more rare before Christ. But after Jesus, the Gentiles start coming to faith in drones. One of the reasons for this is God now is doing something else with the chosen people of Israel. In Romans 11, 11, Paul says this, through the Jews' trespass, through their trespass, salvation, so through the Jews' rejection, salvation has come to the Gentiles Listen to this, so as to make Israel jealous. Do you realize that what God is doing now is he's saying, okay, 
I have a blessing for you. If you're going to reject it, the blessing's not going to go to waste. I'm going to give it to someone else. And you're going to see that blessing. And it's going to make you think, why didn't I take hold of that? So now the Jews become jealous. Basically, the simplest way to understand this is God is proving that he is good. And if the Jewish people will not accept, he will show how good he is by sharing his salvation with Gentiles. He will show the rejectors what they're actually rejecting. And guess what? That's where we come in. Some people say, well, I don't like the title B-list. And I, I look at it like this. I'm glad I'm on any list, okay? I'm glad I'm on any list. It doesn't really matter to me. Then something happens next. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now we have to ask some questions. How did this guy get in and what in the world is going on here? Well, the wedding garments are the righteousness of Christ that we receive when we trust in Christ. This is found in Revelation 3, 5. It says that believers are clothed in a white garment and their names will not be blotted out of the book of life. So basically what's going on here is this guy apparently did not trust in Jesus. He did not put his trust in Jesus. This is a person who maybe was very religious, maybe wandered up, okay? And, and remember, in parables, everything's not perfect. It's not perfect illustration. But basically, what's happening here is God is telling us this. We need to have the garments of Christ on to be enter to enter in to the true wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That means we need to trust in Jesus to actually inherit eternal life. Notice the guy was speechless. Do you know, do you know why? Because he had nothing to say. When we stand in judgment before the Lord, the only thing that we have to say is what we've done with Christ. The main question that we will be asked is, did we trust that Jesus is our Savior, that he died and rose from the grave, that we believed that he took our sins and forgave them as far as the east is from the, the, the west? That's what the scriptures teach. The way to enter into that beautiful wedding feast is by trusting Jesus. See, this man had nothing to say because he hadn't trusted in Jesus. The good news is this. We're all invited to trust in Jesus. We're all invited to receive his righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for this parable. We're thankful, Lord, that you throw open your wedding feast for all to come that we can all trust in you. We're thankful, Lord, that you did this on our behalf so that we can enjoy the blessings, so that we can enjoy eternal life. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted in you, that they would trust in you.
In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.